Today's episode of MBSing is sponsored by Busy Beaver Button Company. One, two, three, four. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is the lovely, intelligent, talented John Hartman, and he talked to me about his love of the Smiths. I admitted before we started recording and at the top that I'm not very well versed in the Smiths, uh, but that's okay. We shared a lot of cool... Um, I really enjoyed the insight on why people love the Smiths and what people who aren't huge fans associate with them and, and their fans and got into a lot of the, you know, commentary surrounding the band and Morrissey, uh, as well as a lot of John's own experience with them and how that's changed over the years. Uh, I always love when someone can cite specifically how their topic really has influenced them in a creative way, and uh, hearing John speak on their dark humor is very interesting, Uh, and I'm excited to share it with everyone listening. I knew they were a British band. I knew a little about how weird Z's Morrissey was, uh, but I really learned a lot from this whole thing, and uh, I think everyone else will... Two, I have a decent amount of plugs. We talk about this at the very top of the show, uh, but John's last show in Chicago before he heads west to L.A. is Messing with a Friend on Thursday night at the Annoyance Theater at 10.30. Um, That'll be him and Susan Messing, two really incredible performers uh, that I started watching. Um, Well, I've lived in Chicago for five years today, so a a little over four years ago, uh, and it's so cool to have seen a lot of that stuff come full circle, and he speaks to that, too, a little at the top of the show. So check out Messing with a Friend um, to see John, but also just any week if you want to see a really stellar, crazy improv, two-person improv show. Um, that same night at the Annoyance, <laughs> at 9.30, I have a weekly show called The Fishbowl. Uh, so I may try to duck my head in to catch the end of that Messing with Friends set with John after this week's show at 9.30 in the small theater next door. If you're a student, that's especially of note, as you can come and put your ID in a fishbowl that we have outside the door before the show, and you may get... Uh, pulled out to play on stage with some annoyance teachers and other performing current performers and veterans and such. It's very much fun. It's uh, weekly one of my favorite uh, things, just period. I, I love it very much. I love those people very much. Uh, also, this Thursday night, the Nerdalogs uh, will be at... Uh, Another Adler After Dark at the Planetarium. It's a game night, so we'll have fisticuffs there for demoing and for selling. So if you want to go to a planetarium uh, and play a game at the same time, boy, is this the event for you. (laughs) Um, Friday night, we will be at the Offices of Cards Against Humanity, 1917 North Elston, for a uh, show and a 
Fisticuffs pickup party. So if you backed the Kickstarter, you could pick up your game there. Or if you didn't back the Kickstarter but really would like a copy, we'll be selling them there too for the same price as we did in the Kickstarter. Because that's all it was really ever supposed to exist as. Um, We will also be putting up the same show that we did in Seattle uh, three weeks ago. Um, it's an all-new sketch show, uh, it's new to Chicago anyway, um, with some musical songs that we have done, musical songs, what a dunce, that we've written over the past year or so, uh, to open her up. We're opening for ourselves, so come check that out. Very much looking forward to that myself. Sunday night, we'll be back at the offices of Cards Against Humanity for our monthly Your Stories. It is the third Sunday of the month. Again, I really love this show. Our guests this time around are the bad boys and girls of Peaches and Hot Sauce. Uh, their podcast, Making New Friends, is a fellow member of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Uh, each week, Pat O'Rourke invites a new and old friends into his studio where anything can happen. Uh, former guests include murderers, ghosts, milkmen, centaurs, and that nice fellow who lives down the street. And... Myself, I've been on a couple of those peaches and hot sauce shows with Pat. So if you're looking for an entry point and you like this, maybe check those out and then listen to a bunch of others. Uh, The theme that they've provided us for your stories is kids again. So if you feel like writing something uh, to that topic, feel free. Or if you feel like checking out a bunch of other people telling their stories about uh, that are, are loosely inspired by the theme Kids Again. Come see that. One last plug, Splatter Theater, at the Annoyance at 10 p.m. every Saturday night, starting this one through the end of October. This is our official opening, so we got the previews under our belt. I'm really excited for this show. It's one of my favorite things that I do in Chicago. Uh, if you're looking for a fun, bloody... Um, stupid experience. (laughs) Uh, But in all honesty, there's a lot of fun technical things. This cast is hilarious. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, That's Saturday nights at 10 o'clock from now until the end of October. Uh, I think that's it. Phew! I was kind of dreading all those plugs. But basically, um, the Nerdalogs at Cards Against Humanity Space 1917 North Elston is a cool thing to check out in the next coming week. And also, go see a show at The Annoyance. That's the QED of the plug section. Uh, I've spoken for far too long. Please enjoy this episode with John Hartman. Well, I... uh, Very fun stuff. I've got a physical today. um, (laughs) Nice. Because I'm moving on Saturday. Wow, I didn't realize it was that soon. Yeah, so I'm getting everything, uh, like cleaned up and ready to go so i've done like eye doctor and dentist and sure physical and all that stuff while recently. you're still familiar with all the people that yeah with the people i've gone before. to before yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah uh i didn't realize it was so soon yeah it's <laughs> it's just uh around the corner i can't believe it either uh, i'm glad i caught you yeah thank you so much for giving me part of your last week in chicago of course <laughs> this starts my last week tour very fun. Are you going to do a bunch of shows and things like that? This I'm week? doing a few. I, I'm not doing a lot of shows. I'm. I think my last show 
which will be kind of nice. Um, will be on Thursday. I'll, I'll do messing with a friend. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I need to post about some of these things too. I <laughs> but like, yeah, that'll be, I think my last show. In town. Very cool. Well, this will go up Wednesday. So we'll, uh, oh, cool. plug that, uh, okay. messing thing. Uh, I'm already recording, so it's, it's Great. plugged. Consider it plugged, but, Perfect. um, yeah, uh, with with posting, I'll throw that in there too. She uh, she did a podcast about a year ago, um, and talked about ex Scientologists. Really, uh, and um, it was so it was so crazy because everything she was telling me was relatively new to me, and then I saw Going Clear mm-hmm. like a year later, a year after that at least, and everything in the documentary were things that Susan had talked to me about. Yeah. It was just very interesting that she was already that, you know, on top of things before this super revealing, you know. Yeah. uh, Thing that was very, like, in the zeitgeist, I think, when it came out. Yes, totally. Um, But it was really fun. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Messing with a Friend was definitely one of the first shows I kind of fell in love with in Chicago. Yeah, me too. I remember going and being someone that would go pretty regularly at, mm-hmm. the, at the old space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done so few shows even at the new space. Yeah. That I'm excited just to do that. I mean, your time was tied up for a while there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, while it was opening and everything. Um, cool. Well, that's really fun. Thank you again for having me be a part of that farewell tour. Like of you course. Said. Yeah. My um, guest today is John Hartman. Um, he's a performer all about town and now he's going to be a performer in LA and that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's talking to me about his love of the Smiths. Yes. And, uh, where do you think the origin of that lies? Well, I know when I first heard them, it was in like early college mm-hmm. and I'm quite a few years out of college now. And some people I think they're who got into the Smiths maybe around that time. It, it is like. Sometimes like the thing like high schoolers or college people get into, but it is uh, certainly stuck with me. I think I found the maybe just because it came at such uh, like a pivotal time in uh, my life, but also I think that it means more. It means different things to me now than they did then, and I've found new reasons to appreciate them. And um, I think at that time uh, when I first heard it, it kind of grabs you um, because it really speaks to being like a young person and being yeah. like, uh, especially like some of the more maudlin stuff that the uh-huh. Smiths do and the lyrics of, of this thing. And you're like, they, they get me. That's how I feel. Yeah. Do you remember like, did someone specific, uh, introduce it to you or did you just like hear it? Uh, do you remember how you heard it at first at all? Um, I, I remember someone, I don't remember who introduced me to it, but mm-hmm. I remember someone, um, told me about the Smiths and I remember going, uh, I think this was even in the days of Napster. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I think I downloaded a song on Napster and, um, I think it was this charming man. Nice. And, and I, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to get, uh, need an introduction. So I bought that Smith's, um, singles, um, CD at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Smiths only have a few albums anyway, and they're more of a singles band they mm-hmm. would release like singles just as they came and inst- inst- instead of just like putting out full albums you'd get like a single here and then uh an a-side and a b-side here so you get two songs and they would just release those so they've never been like a big album band mm-hmm. that, um so this singles collection that i got ended up being a great 
introduction Almost to them. Basically, like a greatest hits. <laughs> it, it, it was pretty much. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I I never would have known that they released so uh, you know non traditionally. I guess. Yeah, and I although I think that was done more at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. Like if you were in a record store, you could buy a full LP, oh. or you would buy these uh, shorter ones. They were actually smaller in size. They'd be like the forty five, mm-hmm. um, and that would just have one song on each side. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it also seems like that would be the way to tap into that uh, demographic, like of young people who were, uh, you know, finding the band because they related to it so hard. And like, yeah. I can imagine that when they would release a single, it would just be, you know, it was all anyone would want to listen to at the time. Yeah. And you can think that like, for them especially to get started, you release a single and see if it catches on. And then you get a deal to make an album. Like, it, it, it doesn't really work that way anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of a cool way to be discovered. And, yeah, like, there's a collectible part of it that's really fun of, like, waiting for your band to release something new. Right. And then being able to get it and when it comes out and have a handhold thing of it. Yeah, of course. Uh, what's a little bit, do you know um, a lot about their, like, background as a band, how they got started, what the what the story is there? I know all this. I don't you know, know how yes. I, boring it would it's oh, be. Oh, please, please. Un, un, uh, so where did they get started first? Smiths are um, started in uh, Manchester, in okay. England, as a bunch of bands that, uh, that became kind of big at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Smiths are kind of credited with starting the like 80s indie rock movement okay um because uh pop music and rock music um really uh came out of this uh era like but the smiths kind of were the first people to do this um but there's some other bands um around that time like joy division and um this the whole factory records scene is where uh, a lot of these bands came out of. Sure, but um, so the, yeah, the lead singer we were just talking about before is Morrissey, and Morrissey was um, this kid. He grew up in Manchester, and he was started performing with, with various bands and some solo stuff. And he got together with this guy he looked up to, who was also in the scene, this guitar player named Johnny Marr, and the two of them were basically are often credited as being, like, the Smiths, though there were two other members. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, because they wrote all the music. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Johnny Marr wrote all the music, and Morris wrote all the lyrics and was the singer. So it was the two of them, and they eventually were looking for to fill out the band. So um, from that scene, they eventually uh, got Andy Rourke, who was the bass player, and um, Mike Joyce on drums, uh, Andy Rourke was later fired from the Smiths for a little while, and they replaced him with this guy, Craig Gannon. And then they brought Andy Rourke back into the band, and they just kept Craig Gannon for a little while. That's so they so had funny. So he was the fifth Smith. Okay. And then they let him go after one, to- one tour. But he was on. he's on a bunch of the major uh, song Singles, releases, so yeah. he's all over the Smiths' albums. Yeah, as soon as you said that the two of them were kind of credited as the Smiths, um... And and starting it and everything, I was immediately curious if there were any uh, you know turnover points. But but they they bear, the Smiths had such a short run. Sure, sure, like, sure. They just they only released um, four albums really. Wow. And uh, the, the no, it's actually three. It's the Smiths, Queen is Dead, Meet Is Murder, and Strange Ways. Here we come. Okay, so four albums, four. Albums. <laughs> and then these little single things I was talking about. Too. Right. 
Um, but it didn't happen over a very long period of time. It's only like four or five years wow. that they were in existence, maybe a little bit longer. Um, Which I think goes to show, you know, like what you were saying, so much music has come out of that, and they were such a big part of, of that uh, initial, uh, you know, transition into um, rock and pop as we kind of know it now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that they were not that, like, prolific and just were kind of like a flash at for those four years um, and have such a, like, uh, huge fan base now still, I would oh, say. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of weirdly worldwide. Um, like, Morrissey, who does solo stuff now, um, has a huge South American following. I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, and and he still tours worldwide. And, and when he does tours, he barely will do U.S. dates, but he does, like, all these dates in uh, South and Central America. Yes, totally. That's so funny. Uh, I wonder what the, uh, like, connection is there. Well, I've heard him in interviews. People ask him, and he kind of, he kind of like, doesn't uh, doesn't really know why, or mm-hmm. he doesn't say. He just thinks, like, oh, like, they respond to my music, or he, I think, Morrissey, he's such a, a weird, a weird cat. Yeah. But, unless he's listening, and then I would still love to meet him, but <laughs> um, I'm positive. I mean, I, it's a great podcast, but I don't know if he oh, l- listens that I c- much. I can't imagine that he would ever know. Well, I mean, he just doesn't do much, like, about <laughs> to, you know, support or, you know, even do many interviews at all. Yeah, I mean, he barely makes shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, he... Uh, he certainly will talk about how like the South and Central American people, like maybe they just really respond to the lyrics more and they understand it. Um, so that's, that's so the, funny. He gives no real explanation. Yeah. Yeah. It's curious. Uh, but yeah, I've heard that before. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I was telling you before we started that I have a friend who's a huge, um, Morrissey fan and was going to come see him in Chicago. Um, but he canceled, um, and you said you've been canceled on twice. Yeah, I've can't I've been canceled on three times. Oh, three. <laughs> and then the fourth time, he I saw him, and uh-huh. that was the only time I've seen him. Uh, and it was just this last year in Chicago. Wow. At the Lyric Opera. Whoa. Yeah, which is good, and I mean it was cool, big venue, but it also was a little stodgy for like a rock concert. Yeah. And there, everyone was standing at first, and you see people start to sit down because it's like a an opera house. Uh huh. Um, and then, yeah, there was it was quite a bit older crowd for, huh. uh, for the most part, but um, you know, I saw I, I felt very gratified that I finally good because I he could like you said he doesn't tour, um, he cancels a lot notoriously, but he still tours every year and he, especially worldwide. But he could stop like that. Like he could decide yeah. tomorrow I mean, he doesn't want to do it. I, most of the cancellation cancellations are kind of on a whim in the first place no oh yeah or they're really suspect like, <laughs> like last year he said that his uh opener got him sick what? and then this woman who he'd been touring with came out like on facebook and stuff and was like hey i, I don't want to be a bad guy but i, I, I had al- i had allergies <laughs> like i didn't do that so now there's all these like rumors about what happened and and recently though he's actually um he revealed that he had a cancer diagnosis wow but that it's it's kind of it doesn't seem to be that um serious serious right now um and so he because he did a larry king interview finally recently and uh he'd mentioned it didn't he said it was okay and (laughs) he doesn't seem to be in that much danger maybe it was some of that but he always has strange excuses for right. stuff. Yeah, I mean, even, I can imagine that even in that interview, he was just like, 
he's so he seems so like cagey and mysterious that it's kind of like watching like an autistic person be interviewed like <laughs> he's really yeah dodgy and his eyes are going all over the place do you he, think he is or do you think he just like ha- is a weird guy i mean i guess it's all little, speculation yeah yeah he might be a little bit i mean some of these guys that are i mean i would consider borderline genius songwriters and whatnot they don't the um the PR part of it is not something they're good at yes. or, or ever trained or wanted to do. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, even that, I feel like that goes to um some, like, acting and just writing oh, yeah. in general. Uh, yeah, it's always, I think it's always, like, a pleasant surprise when you see someone like that have a, a good forthcoming interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Like, yeah, you, you know, people like Mark Maron, sometimes they, it's interesting, they can get something really deep out of somebody yeah and then on the flip side you can tell when someone because of how revealing he gets people to be you can tell when someone's putting up walls and absolutely and what you know he can get out of people and then when someone is like just towing the company line kind of yes yeah. i totally agree um i listened to a couple of uh good wtfs recently uh jason siegels was really interesting oh i haven't i haven't listened to that one yet. um yeah yeah he got sober like two and a half years ago oh i um, didn't know yeah, I feel like, and he even commented during the interview that uh, he is pretty good about keeping his, you know, private life thus, and uh, j- did, just didn't really want anyone to, like, talk to him about it, because he didn't yeah. feel like it needed to be talked about, kind of. Uh, so then it was interesting, like you said, for Mark Maron to just kind of bring it out of him in, in yeah. a casual way. Um, but it was cool. I would recommend it. It has yeah. nothing to do with this, but... <laughs> I would probably like it, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, would recommend. Um, cool. So, what... Uh, was Is there, like, lore surrounding why they didn't last any longer than they did? It's... I mean, it's pretty clear why, but, it. I mean, there's, there's people that will blame uh, Morrissey or Johnny Marr for mm-hmm. it, but... It's probably more Morrissey. Uh, they never, I don't think they ever really got along. So there are some stories about the last record they made that they would not even really meet and that Morrissey would slide lyrics under Johnny Marr's front door and be like, write the music to this. And they wouldn't talk again until they got to until the studio to record it. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. It's not much of a collaboration at all. No. Um, so they weren't really getting along and they they certainly kind of knew it was going to be the end fairly soon i think at least morrissey did and probably johnny marr but i think johnny marr probably would have continued more um if it hadn't been if morrissey hadn't decided to yeah i was gonna ask what his uh you know what kind of personality he's bringing to the table if uh morrissey is such this you know enigma um i is do you think it's like two people uh kind of clashing that have those similar uh idiosyncrasies or uh sort of but i i think johnny marr is a lot more down to earth and really you know doesn't it doesn't go into those flights of fancy that uh-huh. he's just a little bit more persnickety uh-huh. and um you know they say he is one of the he gets off stage so fast at a concert. Really? Um, and he used to leave his solo concerts um, ending a song where he would leave and then each member of the ba- the band would still be playing and each member of the band would finish, the, uh, like the guitar player uh, would finish and 
walk off and they would applaud him until it was just the drummer left. And the rumor was that um, by the time the drummer was finally finished, the last member of the band, Morrissey, was already back at the hotel. <laughs> like, he gets off that fast and just is back and, like, drinking tea and reading Oscar Wilde, you know? That's so funny. What a... Like, I feel like there's such a contradiction in um, the desire to be a performer and a singer and to do the show in the first place and then just be like, all right, I'm out. That's it. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's... It, and he clearly... It's his favorite thing is to keep singing the, keep singing and performing. He uh-huh. loves he loves to do that. Uh-huh. Just like the rest of it, he doesn't care about. Sure, sure. And he's even said that he still likes singing the old songs. There's nothing about that part he doesn't like. He That's said, good. He said if I'm ever if it doesn't, I'm never not into singing the songs. If I'm tired, I'm physically tired. It's not because I'm I don't enjoy the. That's s- funny. Singing. So know. even that though, he's like, uh, he doesn't want to even like if he's not in a good mood to be able to doing it it's still kind of reserved like, yeah <laughs> if i'm tired you might not get the best out of me <laughs> yeah sort of yeah he does have a little catch-all Which, know, uh, cover there yeah but it seems like um uh it seems like he has earned the right to kind of do whatever and people still adore him yeah there's not much he can do right now. I mean, he makes sort of all sorts of strange, controversial comments. And really, I mean, he he has certain stances he's taken. Um, he really dislikes the Queen um, and the whole royal family element of England because he just points out their ridiculousness and they're uh-huh. just figureheads. And uh-huh. so he's very critical of the royal family, wow. very openly. Um, he's super. Um, in the eighties, he was super critical of Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote a song called Margaret on the, on the guillotine. And it was like, I hope you die soon. <laughs> oh my God. Pretty outspoken. I mean, the queen is dead was the name of the second right, Smith's right. album. Um, and then, and he's a very, uh, outspoken animal rights activist too. So he's, um, he's vegan. I think uh, I have heard that before. Yeah. He won't perform in any venue if meat is on the premises now. So if it's a stadium or something like that, they have to clear it from the grounds before he'll perform there. Wow. Um, he's taken that strong a stance. The last show I was at, um, during one of his songs, Meet is Murder, uh-huh. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't have a ton of message songs, but um, that one is one. Yeah. And he was showing footage of animals being slaughtered. And it was insane. It was horrible. And it was not entertaining. It was just horrific to watch. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, I don't think he cares. I think he's just trying to get that point across. That's crazy. So it's like, hey, if you don't get the message from the words, look at these horrifying images. Yeah. It's not exactly a veiled uh, song, song to begin with. Yeah. Meat is murder. Yeah. It's yeah. in the title. Yeah. <laughs> was it just like stills? or Video. Video. Oh, my God. Just one after the other, like, you know, people were like, I mean, like all the worst parts of food ink just <laughs> edited really, together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, um, was it? Did he even do any other like uh, multimedia type things like that during? He the did show? another video during this song he has called "Gang Lord," and that was all about pr- uh, police brutality. So he showed these horrible videos that you probably they look like YouTube videos, but you these ones you wouldn't be able to find there of people. 
like cops beating people, shooting oh, people in the back of the head. My God. And again, it's like this, it wasn't entertaining. I was real. it was like very jarring. And you know, it's not, there's, there's no, out. it's not like couched in anything or no. it's just, it's not uh, a protected message at all. It's just like, here's this. <laughs> yeah. It was meant to shock and terrify you. <sighs> Which yeah. I get. I just, a lot of people were not there for that. That's what I was going to say. Well, you're preaching to the choir by the people that are there. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that, like, I get it, but do you really think that this audience is the one that needs that in the first place? Maybe some of them, but in yeah. the grand scheme of things, yeah. you know, go somewhere that wasn't looking for a Morrissey concert. <laughs> yeah. They know what they're getting. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're huge fans of your music. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Thanks for making us watch all these pigs die. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's very funny. I've never heard about that yeah. kind of aspect of his shows. He had, I, mean, I think, invited, or they asked if they could be a part of it, but the whole lobby of the concert was uh, just PETA. Wow. PETA little stands everywhere. Yeah, as soon as you said all the pretty extreme animal rights stuff, I had to assume that. Yeah, they know that they have a captive audience there, and um, it's it, it seems a little bit like you're being uh, attacked by it. But, mm-hmm. like, cause the minute you walk in, you're getting handed with flyers. <laughs> I think I walked out with, you know, four or five flyers um, <laughs> about animal rights and how to be, how to live a vegan lifestyle. And that's that was a little exhausting for just going to a concert. But, <laughs> again, I really wanted to see him so well yeah i mean what was what was the music like was he do you think he still has you know all the abilities that he had when he was starting and what was that like yeah i mean the great thing that was wonderful to see was his voice is still fantastic Mm. um the voice was there he's not as he doesn't move around as much i have a ton of old bootleg uh smith's concerts that's awesome um dvds of old smith's uh concerts and tv appearances and he doesn't move around quite as much as the old morrissey did but he's still very charismatic on stage um he the band sounds great um it's the his solo band they they sound um phenomenal he's been with that band for years and years and years really longer than the smiths Yeah, yeah i was gonna ask that too um you know what his support is like yeah though the the band is great um and mostly american actually um, and, uh, he's been with a lot of them for years and they sound really good. Nobody quite to the level of Johnny Marv. Uh, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, Morrissey's solo stuff has been, you know, hit or miss. Uh, but there's some stuff that rivals some Smith's things. Um, the, how often does he release albums or how many Morrissey? does he have? Um, I mean, he, he's come out with, he probably has 12 wow. solo, solo albums. Wow. I yeah. don't think I had any concept of the f- that he had been that prolific yeah. on his own. Yeah. So, yeah, many more solo albums than the Smiths. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'll perform Smiths songs in concert, too. So mm-hmm. uh, he'll do that. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, he's charismatic. He, didn't, he wasn't as chatty. Um, <laughs> like, there wasn't a lot of banter. Mm-hmm. He would... Yeah, uh, I can't imagine banter between, like... Here's this police brutality. I know. And here's <laughs> but um, you know, he would put in little quippy one-liners um, uh, every once in a while. Like they wouldn't be like he was talking with the audience in conversation. Um, but like at one point, he mentioned like someone cheered for him, and he goes, "Thank you very much." 
I can understand why. <laughs> and he's being he's That's he's amazing. very tongue in cheek. See, people, my the thing I hate most about people's criticisms of the Smiths about them being like really mopey, mm-hmm. like Angst. sad, angsty music is that some of it is is that and mm-hmm. on, uh, on purpose and it's it's meant to invoke something, but a lot of it is supposed to be funny. Really? Yeah, he's supposed to be he's being like mordantly funny. Um, in a song, what's a good lyric to, um, uh, scratch my name on your arm with a fountain pen. That means you really love me. That doesn't, he's not being serious. He's being like, that, isn't that so over the top? Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not being serious about this. Like, that's. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's commentary as much as it's, I mean, there are probably plenty of, uh, of people, young people who that was totally lost on, you know, mm-hmm. they hear it and they're like, yes, that is what love is. Yeah. But that's great to have that perspective on it and say like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's being, he's being sardonic and he's, he is, uh, being morosely funny sometimes. About so that. that has to be something that kind of hooked you on it when you were getting into the Smiths. Yeah. I, I think. You know, like what I was saying before, how it means different things to me now than it sure. did then, is, you know, the real grief-stricken ones that are, you know, um, like How Soon Is Now, a Big Smith song about you go to the club alone, you dance alone, you go home and you want to die. Like those ones, they don't <laughs> hit me on that level as much anymore. Sure. Uh, um, but the ones that are being more funny or uh, listening to the musicianship of the singing and the and the uh, instrumental playing, that stuff hits me differently than it did when I was uh, in yeah, high school and college. Yeah, you appreciate that kind of thing more than... More so than I did then. You're really more into it for what it was saying and uh, the feeling behind it and everything, but you can appreciate the artisanship mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I fi- I'm trying to think of what's... I like Asleep. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for Which, one reason or another. Asleep is great. Um... That one is uh, supposedly about suicide. Yeah, I so, would think so. I mean, singing <laughs> to sleep, like... Um, I'm tired. Yes. Um, that one's in... Is that one in Perks of Being I a Wallflower? I think it is. Yeah. In, I think that's probably why I'm familiar with it in the beginning, but... Yeah, we were I did reveal that that was one of my biggest ins for the Smiths in general. Yeah, they pop up in pop culture every once in a while, sometimes not as a joke. The, what um, uh, 500 Days of Summer. Right. She's listening to Smiths and that quite a bit. Yeah. Right. And in that one, it's supposed to make, it's supposed to give her, like, indie cred. <laughs> he's, supposed, he's, like, really into it. He's like, you like the Smiths, too? That's right. That's right. Because it's such a weird, unique thing that or something. only very indie cool people right. would be into. <laughs> I mean, I bought it. It was okay. <laughs> I like, uh, I like the, um filmmaking involved in 500 days of summer more than i like the final product does that make sense totally like i, I would agree i love the way that movie is made and the way the story is told but overall it's like <sighs> yeah um i would agree with that it uh at the end when he meets a girl named autumn or something i was going to say the same thing yeah i am pretty sure i audibly exclaimed because i saw it at theaters and uh, my friend Brian and I were two of the only people there. And I was just like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little, uh, yeah, a little self-referential. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like, oh, we're going to do Annie Hall for um, 
a modern era with jumping around in the story. Yeah. So, but for me, you know, why not just watch Annie Hall? Then? <laughs> right. Sure. My my thing is uh, almost the opposite of that in the sense that like I would love to see another better story told mm. out of order like that. I mean, I know we've seen. Um, other, you know, you have Memento and such, but like, what an interesting way to tell uh, a relatively sure. uh, a told story, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that it does say a lot about uh, the filmmaking um, for Smith's being used as a as the connection between those two characters. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I and I hope it was meant in a good way in that, but I can also know that in some of those movies, it's it's, meant it's as a like, jab. Yeah, or it's like it's it's more used as a benchmark of uh, what the Smiths are about, or mm-hmm. what people uh, what people think of them mm-hmm. than people that actually like them, because mm-hmm. they might be a thing that somebody knows more about than actually the substance of their songs or things like sure, that. Sure, they're definitely a band that exists uh, in that way. I think in the sense that yeah you know at least the the general idea <laughs> and uh what they were going for i guess but it's interesting i think that you bring up the humor and the like dark side of that because mm-hmm. um, i do th- that's something i ne- don't wouldn't have realized to someone who isn't well versed in the smiths i think yeah and so i hope people will know that and um that there is a streak of uh black humor that runs throughout it on purpose um, you know, Morrissey talks about, uh, in inter- the rare interviews, um, where that reputation comes from. And he's like, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm not a morose person in real life. Um, uh, you know, people will love to put whatever on him because he's kind of this guy that is kind of asexual, um, may have had heterosexual and homosexual relationships we kind of don't really know he had an autobiography that came out last year and he kind of revealed that he lived with a man for a while but he didn't really he didn't go into great detail and he is just like super private person Uh and i don't know that he's um you know he's talked about some depression battles but not anything that was that was like um i'm a i'm an unhappy Suicidal. Uh, un- yeah, it's not suicidal and not like I'm unsatisfied with life. I'm like, I'm very uh, enjoy life and uh, and that kind of thing. That's interesting. And I think that's important to uh, keep in mind where uh, art and artists are concerned. Because uh, I'm sure there's other, I mean, w- especially like think about comedy. I feel like sometimes people are so surprised especially people outside of comedy when comedians are these very tortured dark you know souls and uh well yeah now now it seems like it's such a it's a stereotype when the comic is revealed as the tortured soul yes um but i i think people that aren't uh, that that's often you know um a stereotype of stand-ups I was going to say that, they, too. Especially the solitude of that life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, people do always wonder why I like the Smiths because um, I don't really – that's not really, like, the kind of life I live or I don't have a – I don't consider myself a tortured soul really uh-huh. like that. Um, but, yeah, so, that yeah, it takes all kinds, I guess. Do you think that when you were first introduced to them in college, do you think you were closer to that kind of, like – um, stereotyped angst 
I, I would I think it would be more romantic, but I don't think I was really. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like I would have yeah. now. I think I would have loved to have like been an angsty teen in like eighties uh, England. That would have been really cool. Oh sure, sure. Like what a time for that. That's that's what I was thinking too. When you're talking about um, their hatred for the Queen, because um, I'm sure that that. Uh, that played so much differently in England than it would have in the States. And they were, you know, like you said, they are pretty universally popular. Uh, yeah. And there's all these mentions of, like, local places in, you know, Manchester and um, Morrissey. A lot of the songs were about the uh, against the um, British um, school system. He hated his schooling. He thought his teachers were awful and... Uh, vindictive and abused him and he may actually have been you know abused by a teacher um with you know more like extensive corporal punishment um so he rails against that and that's not something that um is you know maybe relatable to somebody in the states but there's the themes Mm. of it or maybe something maybe Yeah. yeah maybe similar instances but not that specific thing of him being like um Oh, the teachers at, you know, in, at the rush home. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot to be said for universality of those sentiments. Yeah, um, yeah. And even, you know, and even like uh, railing against the queen it being extrapolated out into like anarchy in general and oh yeah uh railing against you know whatever the politics of your <laughs> yeah where you're listening from yeah there was a um there's uh the song panic is about um a local incident where this uh about a, a dj on the radio and he it was a very localized thing but it has this chorus at the end of hang the dj oh and it was still relatable to people because um at the time it was like uh, it, it, about like they aren't playing the music I want to hear on the radio. Yeah, they're playing disco and they're playing this kind of stuff, and they don't play the music I like. Cool, that's awesome. Uh, and I think that really speaks to the power of like le- what a lyricist he is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For him to be able to write t- to a specific uh, point that then everyone finds their way into. Yeah. Um. How do you feel – so do you feel like there are other ways that your um, enjoyment of them and such has kind of progressed uh, since um, – aside from, you know, being able to relate to a lot of the emotion behind it and things like that in college like we've talked about and now looking back at the uh, uh, artistic nature of it, like are there any other times in between where you can think of big like uh, revisiting – um, an album maybe or something like that. Um, I've, I mean, I've certainly revisited the albums a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, and then there was, I, when I was older, I was able to find more like concerts and stuff. And there's a online forum of people that went and, you know, record concerts and you can listen to old concerts and that's kind of cool. That's a cool way to experience them new, um, and then, yeah, when, like, bootleg DVDs came around, yes, it was, you know, and, and some of them are actually probably uh, not... Legit. Not they, legit, yeah. <laughs> and, and some of them might be more legit, but, you know, I bought I bought them at, uh, off, you know, 
at used record stores and cool. stuff. So they're on like DVDRs and That's so funny. somebody made them and there's no menu and you know, but <laughs> you the, pop it in, so yeah, funny. but the quality is like, okay. So uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like they're, there's some that are sold online and there's some that are more like, uh, Oh, this is only in a store where maybe, <laughs> maybe the owner or something helped make it. Right. That's really funny. I guess that makes sense that between then and now there are all these ways to, uh, uh, access things in a way that there wasn't um, um, previously. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, finding other people who enjoy the thing that you do <laughs> as much or, or more than you do. Yeah. Um, Which is, you know, for people that love a band or something, that's not that uncommon, like, to trade around, like, your favorite B-sides or, um, you know, mixtapes of the rare B-sides and uh, unheard demos. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I always had so were you did you have a lot of friends when you first found them that were also big fans or was it something where you kind of were you know in your dorm room going like why don't more people like this awesome band it was more of that really like yeah I didn't I don't think that I you know I don't know I mean the people that I hung out with it just wasn't like their thing necessarily um I have a few friends here now that uh totally are in the same boat uh-huh. the same wavelength with me and anytime there's a smiths or morrissey related news thing i you know i text the same oh, three people that's so i love those kinds of points of yeah. uh, reference yeah um including like my best friend basically so there are these people that uh are certainly into it now but then i don't you know i i didn't it was maybe a cool thing that i liked and it was like oh i don't know a lot of people that like this and mm-hmm. Some people don't seem to be into it, but it is a thing for me. So in that way, it was kind of therapeutic. Oh, cool. What a nice, uh, you know, instead of feeling more uh, separated from people, it was nice to have as your own thing. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. What a what good perspective. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Uh, University of Michigan. Oh, okay. In Ann Arbor. Uh, I have a friend who just started grad school there oh. for a... Uh, um, a program she's been a high school english teacher for like four years and they have a great program for um affecting change in like uh poverty stricken areas like affecting uh educational change uh-huh. um and like underprivileged and uh at risk areas of the country so she was like i don't want to just do this thankless uh teaching thing anymore yeah i want to try to make it better yeah. um so now i have this like uh, fondness for <laughs> U of M and Ann Arbor that I didn't really exist before that. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. yeah. It was a great place. I, I loved going to school there. Everyone I've talked to said that. I recently talked to uh, Sarah Ashley about her time in Ann Arbor as well. Uh-huh. And she was very uh, super similar to your uh, reaction was just like, I love Ann Arbor. Going to school there was great. Yeah. We were in the same uh, college improv group together. That's so funny. I wouldn't have realized that. That's Me great. and a bunch of people from Chicago, actually, in that same improv group. Uh, um, uh, Daniel Strauss. Uh-huh. Uh, Michaela Bierman. How insane that you were in the same improv group in college and exist and were on the main stage at the same time as well. It was that was really incredible. I mean That's awesome. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I think I knew you were both alums, but I wouldn't have realized that that it was that close. Yeah. It was pretty remarkable when we when we came full circle like that. That's mm-hmm. like where I, that's where I met Daniel. Uh, and then he was one year younger than me in school. Uh-huh. And then ending up on main stage 
And we even threw a little nod to that in one of our scenes. Um, we had a scene called Bully, uh-huh. um, where he's a guidance counselor. And at the very, our college improv group's name was Wits End. And at the very beginning of that scene, Daniel just goes, Charlie, I'm at my, my wits end here. Yeah. And it goes right into the scene. So we just threw that in as like a little Easter uh, egg. That's because, awesome. Yeah. I love that scene. And what a nice, like you said, Easter egg to yeah. have discovered from it. That's so cool. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I'm doing uh, Splatter Theater at Annoyance with Sarah right now. Oh, cool, where we cool. have that cool. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, well, lo- Sarah has said that uh, she uh, she's kind of in love with me, so <laughs> I don't think she would mind me saying here that, yeah, she's <laughs> has never really let up. <laughs> Sarah, if you're listening, just, just let it go. He's about to leave the city. Just yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. Um, cool. I I think that that uh, I think that's why nostalgia exists in such a unique way for um, you know 2015, the current um, nature of of the world that we live in, is because so many of us grew up um, having these things that maybe only we felt like we understood. Mm-hmm. And the way that the internet culture exists and um, a lot of other aspects of our of our culture, we're able to close those circles in a way that we weren't when we were growing up. At least uh, I think that's my perspective on it is that people, you know, are so like things so hard and are so nostalgic for these things that like weren't. It wasn't that long ago that they were really popular. It's just, uh, oh, um, at the time, I thought I was the only one, but there were plenty of other people in all these other places. Yeah. <laughs> they were the only ones. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I think there's a there's a bad side of that now. I mean, we, nostalgia is great. We should always love the things that we loved then. Um, but when people always – there's this trend right now that I feel like will die soon because it's going to hit a wall of bringing back things that we yes. love. Yes. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up in the first place is because I think we cling to nostalgia in a way that is pretty unnecessary. <laughs> it's great to – like, but go back and watch your old thing. Don't make a new – you know, big co- trouble in coach China. or big trouble coach, in, coach which was on going to be on Netflix, and they just pulled the plug on it recently. But they <sighs> were going to do a new season of Coach. They're doing a new full with house. like the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Craig. I know. Come well, that on. one luckily has you know. Good. The, I think that was the one I read about. I was like, okay, maybe that's not too bad then that they are getting the idea. But they yes. are doing this new full house. Um, you know, which we don't need. Yeah, <laughs> they'll bring back whatever. The um, first one was like. Seven or eight seasons, something. The first one already had a lot of seasons of what wasn't a very good show. <laughs> right. I mean, and I, I'll admit, like, when I, me and my sister, when we were younger, we watched Full House all the time. So did I. And it's, but yeah, we, I, I think in this time, I would, you know, happily go back and watch some for like a fun experience. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would enjoy it if it came out today, and nor do I want it to continue on. That's a good, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I guess. For, like girl meets world was kind of a thing that that also i guess uh more power to them for actually making it a continuation in a different way and not just like 
more Boy Meets World. Sure. Uh, I guess if you're going to do it, find a, a new interesting angle. Yeah. I mean, but there's so many, you know, they have, so they'll come out with something that's a prequel or mm-hmm. um, not a, uh, maybe a sequel or one that exists in a different world than the other one, but it's, right. you know, like the a, a new Spider-Man that, um, you know, exists. Um, the the mythology starts over again. Like the two um, franchises aren't the same, so you can do different things with them. You know, yep. they make up all sorts of rules so you can do that. Which is a comic book thing, too. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I think, and I kind of hope that the comic book thing is about to bust. Yeah, uh, because it seems like the quality of the films uh, is is decreasing, and the I mean, if you look at the most recent um, Fantastic Four, that's it, a maybe a good indicator to the beginning of the end of that. Yes, um, I think they know they can still make money with it, but I, you know, I'm I'm not so into those movies, and mm-hmm. I I also am worried about what they represent in that we're hitting an age where movies. They have to cost over a hundred million or under one thing. Yeah. Yes. And so it's very dangerous for new and original creators. As someone that you know in that field and would mm-hmm. like to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, same with you know when Netflix decides to greenlight Coach instead of somebody's original series, that yes. makes me, that gives me pause mm-hmm. and makes me worried. Um, and uh, same with movies. If you aren't able to sell your movie overseas. Yes. And have overseas potential, you might not be able to get it made. Yeah. Uh, or you have to uh, go a completely different route that is, you know, so much more work, and there aren't studios to back you in that in that uh, endeavor anymore. So, you know, until there's a solution for that, there will be a bubble and it will burst, and either movies will be too expensive for anyone to make, <laughs> yeah. or they need to do something more, you know, economical where, you know, I'd heard this idea a few years ago that um, movies that have a higher budget – um, you pay more for to see at the yeah. theater. So why not? The new Fantastic Four might cost twenty dollars, but if you want to go see, um, you know, a Sundance, yeah, uh, award-winning movie or something, I can't think of one out uh, like Grandma, that yeah, Lily right. Tomlin, Lily movie, Tomlin. Mm-hmm. which is a wonderful movie. I saw and it's fantastic, seen it yet, but I want to. And it was you know made dirt cheap, um, but that movie maybe doesn't have to cost as much at, the, at the theater for lo- you to buy. I think that that should happen. I really do. Uh, cause it seems like, and it also seems like people would be more, uh, because, because movies do cost more to go see, um, people are, want to see the thing that they think they like need to see in a theater to appreciate. Right. Um, and then wait for other things to come out. Um, so it's like, why not charge more for that experience, um, for the thing that you think you really need to see in a theater? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, theaters are doing everything they can to make that because they know the price has gone up already. Um, so that's why places have, um, you know, assigned seats now. Yeah. You pick them out ahead of time, and they have nice reclining seats because they RPX. have RPX. Yeah, RPX. <laughs> um, the theaters that have that serve alcohol now and have a or have mm-hmm. a bar next door, um, and because they, they have to do everything to justify that price and make it seem like. If you're going out to the movies, it's it's an event. It's, mm-hmm. it's something worth going out to mm-hmm. to see whatever kind of movie. And and I hope as a huge movie fan that people w- will still go see all movies in the theaters. So not just Fantastic Four, but Grandma as well. Yeah, I totally. It's funny that you say that because as you were as you were saying it, I was just like, man, I when I more often than not 
at this point, when I go see a movie, it is something, like, smaller that I've been looking forward to that I don't want to wait for it to, you know, be available otherwise. Or I want to try to, you know, be one person supporting it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, Fantastic Four doesn't, well, I was going to say it doesn't need my ticket purchase, but because it was so bad, I guess it did. But I don't, uh, you know what I mean? Like, the yeah. next Avengers movie doesn't need my right. ticket purchase. It doesn't, you know? It's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so why wouldn't I try to support Grandma? Yeah, it's true. Um, that's the way to do it. Even even over a movie like that that might come out the same week on video on demand. Yeah. Um, that's certainly a way. I mean, you're buying, you're paying for the movie that way, but uh-huh. you still end up getting to support that theater by going to it. Um, uh-huh. It's tough, you know, a movie um, like that, uh, the newest Elizabeth Moss one, Queen of Earth, that came out, opened at the Music Box, and also on video on demand the same day. You know, it's tough. There's people have very nice home video systems, and mm-hmm. you can order it, and that's you're certainly supporting the movie. But if you buy it on iTunes or rent it on iTunes that day, mm-hmm. but there is something about going to the movie theater that's I I don't think will ever go away. The uh, the, the experience of that, so especially uh, especially one somewhere like the Music Box, which is like right. my favorite movie theater I've ever been to, and two. Um, especially for things that like deserve to be experienced with an audience. Yeah, like, of course. Uh, comedies are so much more fun to see in theaters uh, than you know sitting on your couch by yourself. Um, you know, I think uh, horror as a genre is not for me, but I do think that people uh, get a lot out of seeing it in a theater experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, action-y type things get lumped into that. And it's like, yeah, you know, watching it on a big screen is, is part of the experience. But it's not as much like, it, you know, watching it as a large group of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, anywho, uh, are there are there any thi- uh, tie-ins like Smith's documentaries or uh, Smith use in film that we haven't already covered? Um, there's, not a, there's not a great official Smith's documentary. Um there's a few um, small ones that I've checked out. Um, Smiths in pop culture. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, some comedians might know uh, Chris Gethard. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Chris Gethard show. Mm-hmm. He's probably the biggest Morrissey fan really? in the world. Um, he's got a, he came and played the main stage set a few months ago. Awesome. And I knew it, uh, too, so we talked about so that. So you talked? Oh. And he showed me his Morrissey tattoo. Amazing. Um, so, he, yeah, he's a huge fan, and we'll sometimes uh, incorporate that on his show. Um, Again, what? but a nice thing that you guys, because you knew that about him, you got to, like, connect with him yeah. about it. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of there. I had another, uh, question in there, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, <laughs> um, what's, what's your favorite? Like, do you have favorite albums, singles, like rundown of, of, uh, some, some highlights for you as a fan? Um, I think my, fa- my, my favorite album front to back would probably be meet is murder except for the song Meet is Murder, which I've never just really, I've never really liked that much. Uh-huh. Um, again, I, the message songs don't... Too preachy? Yeah, it doesn't do as much for me. Um, but, um, you know, that album, Front to Back, has uh, probably my favorite Smith songs on it. Um, there's... God, there's so many uh, singles and also 
singles compilations that came out they were great too mm-hmm. um yeah i mean my though my favorite song um it, it might it might be even more of an obvious choice i mean i i might pick um something from Mita's murder actually um uh like the headmaster ritual is probably my favorite song but i i would also go with maybe one that is a really popular one from The Queen is Dead, There is a Light That Never Goes Out. It's a great which is, song. Which is one a lot more people know. Yeah. Um, yes, case in point. Yeah. <laughs> when it's I first, a great song. When I first moved to Chicago, um, I found this bar uh, in Bucktown called Danny's. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, probably for the last 12 to 15 years, they've been doing Smith's Night, the fifth Tuesday of every month. I used to go all the time. <laughs> so it only happens once every, like... Whenever there are five Tuesdays in a month, yeah. <laughs> um, but which is more often than not, actually, uh, I think. Or, uh, maybe it's the fourth Tuesday or the fifth. Maybe it's the fifth. But um, yeah. So I used to go at the end of every month. It'd be really fun. There'd be a ton of people there. That's awesome. And a lot of people that like kind of dressed like Morrissey. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. Did uh, they just like play only Smiths all night? Was there anything kind of? They would mix in. Head? They would mix in a few more '80s songs in uh-huh. there, and then they would do Morrissey solo stuff too. But uh, that was the that was the, the, main, the main hook of it. Yeah, that's so funny. But also, like, I just I think it goes back to you know people being able to connect over a mutual love of something. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe I think that is uh, the ongoing appeal for a lot of things. Are, are there big major artists that cite? I mean, I'm sure there are tons of artists who cite the Smiths and Morrissey as an influence. But are there any like major notable ones that you're aware of? Um, I, I mean, I know Oasis was a big one that uh, you know drew uh, strongly from that, um, mm-hmm. uh, and a, a ton of British bands to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first one that came to mind. Uh, and even just that movement of the do-it-yourself uh, getting noticed indie rock thing is cool. pretty predominant uh, today. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. There's a, there's a few bands that can make can have that kind of effect. You know, the Smiths, um, like the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. before in the States, you know, they always say like, only a couple hundred people bought the Velvet Underground's first album, but every single one of them started a band. <laughs> you know, so they have that kind of influence. Uh huh. Um, They're the kind of bands that other bands reference in their songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that holds true for for both of those. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people that will um, the magazine um, uh, NME, which is a big. Uh, music magazine ranked, you know, the top 100 British bands of all time um, a few years ago, and the Smiths were number one. Wow. The Beatles were number two. I was going to say, over the Beatles at number two, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they got a lot of flack, because I think uh, that was sort of like probably a controversial yeah. pick, just maybe just to be controversial. I don't know. They, I mean, they do that all the time, but... Um, sure but if you put the beatles at the top people would go boring you know what i mean you can't win (laughs) yeah that's exactly why i think yeah just to be interesting and like you said stir up a little controversy but at the same time it's not like 
I'm sure there are people who would go, I mean, yeah, they deserve to, if not be at the top, be in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, if not, so. I would hope even people that aren't huge fans of them would say something like that. Yes. I do, in my experience, I think they're the kind of band who exists like that for people. Like, even if you're not a huge fan, I feel like you should still be able to acknowledge the, you know, the effect they had, the prowess, the lyricism, all of that. Yeah. Uh, I said the same thing about uh, I said the same thing about Ben Folds Five recently. Oh yeah. I don't I, and, and I don't know if you would agree with me or not. I but loved Ben Folds Five in high school. It was like a huge thing. I had you know bought all their albums mm-hmm. and went and saw him a ton. Something about it just is so undeniable to me. Yeah. Like I think even if you can say like I totally understand someone saying this isn't really for me, but I just feel like. it's beyond me to think that someone could be like, this is bad. Like they are not good at making music. (laughs) Yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. Uh, So, which is fine. You know, you can, you can not be into something, but just give a little respect. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Smiths exist in that same place. Yeah. Like you said, Uh, is there anything else you feel like you would be remiss not to mention um a, a very a fun fact uh a personal experience that you've had that we haven't covered anything that you can think of that pops out at you uh that when you were prepping your topic uh were things that you went oh this might come up but it hasn't yet hmm well i mean people now that know me and know that i love the smiths will use that against me often or <laughs> prank me with smith stuff or <laughs> talk about how the smiths suck to me uh. um and I think it was um, a couple uh, months ago in the main stage show at Second City, there's a scene where um, I play a, a dolphin mm-hmm. in the scene. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I don't say anything in it, but I uh, at one point I'm dancing around to this song that's already set um, called Trouble Down Here Below. And um, Jacob, the music director, one night pranked me and didn't play the normal song and just blared the smiths so i'm supposed to dance around like kind of in beat and right rhythm to it's this song very high energy yeah so then the smiths are just blaring and the audience is kind of like what what is that and happening? jacob is laughing and losing his mind and i just danced around to the smiths for a while <laughs> as this dolphin um but i didn't hate it i was gonna say it was fun i love dancing to the smiths that's what i was gonna say for you uh upgrade <laughs> it was kind of a private party on stage for me and right maybe no one else right um but well, back they had to those already... college days of it being a, a therapeutic appreciation yes it was very therapeutic <laughs> and they'd already paid their money so yeah they couldn't get it back nope at that point you had them yeah. <laughs> cool i think that's a perfect uh toss in for for uh, to add on here at the end great uh last question i'll ask how do you feel like your love of the smiths um and morrissey etc has influenced you um both creatively and your life in general well i i think that uh for me music is very is very much creative fuel Mm -hmm. and um i use it often when i'm writing or creating um i've put some actual smith's references into things i've written in solo shows and whatnot but i've also um, been influenced in a way that I probably didn't, you know, reference exactly, but it was more, maybe I needed to get, um, revved up or get to a place where I felt, uh, 
creative emotionally or something like that and maybe put that music on to fuel that creative process. I, I do that quite often. Um, That's awesome. And I think that that um, – I think when we were talking about before, people being like, why do you like the Smiths? Like people that are in comedy liking something that's not comedic. I think that that is what makes somebody uh, artistically more rich is when you go outside of your comfort zone slash your own field to appreciate other things. Um, the movies that I watch, the music that I listen to, um, pieces of art that I like, um, those kinds of things – sometimes um, find that I'm drawn to the most non-comedic things possible. And uh, having those things actually inspire me comedically. That's awesome. I, I definitely relate in terms of film. I find myself like being drawn towards just a heavy drama. Like mm-hmm. I love, like uh, Revolutionary Road, I think is great. And it's just this dark depressing thing that most people you know when they uh it's not it's not like you know top five or anything but i just really appreciate the movie and i feel like when people meet uh me and other people in comedy they don't expect that kind of like response um but i totally agree with you that i think that it's uh an important thing to kind of look outside that's really cool that um, there's that direct of a connection to, all right, I want to feel creative or inspired. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this on. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it, it's about being well-rounded sometimes. Not that that's, this is a thing that makes me well-rounded, but the idea of that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, when they talk about people doing improv and taking classes, like how should I get better? I often am like, you need to travel. You need to, <laughs> uh, go do unique things. Take a pottery class don't take seven improv classes at once yes. um, because then you only do scenes about bars and offices and <laughs> you don't have any um, uh, benchmarks for points of reference. Yeah. Other things just experiencing other things is important. That's awesome. I think that's great advice too. And uh, contrary to, you know, the theater is uh, putting it on and going, well, we have these students. We want to put them in the seats for the shows, but that that's like, I think that there's an aspect of that that's important too, but sure, like you said, you know, it, I think that that kind of that aspect of our community makes it more and more insular. Mm-hmm. I think you know all of the the self referential desire and nature of it is a dangerous one. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it makes you um, yeah, kind of an island, and uh, ultimately not uh very marketable to anybody yeah yeah right 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 um cool thank you so much john of course thank you for having me absolutely my pleasure uh i love you and i mean that well thank you Yeah.
For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548x.